Let's take a moment now and open our Bibles to Romans chapter 8, verse 14 to verse 17. And I'd like to pray for us as we give our attention to God's word. Father in heaven, your spirit speaks today. Your spirit is life, gives life, and speaks the truth of our identity in Christ to our hearts, and we need that. So I pray that you would speak to us in this way now, in the tender and loving and quieting way that your spirit is able to. Speak to us as we focus our attention on your scriptures, that we can know of your great love for us. In Jesus' name. Romans 8, verse 14 to 17 says this. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may be glorified with him. This might seem like an odd question, but maybe it resonates a little bit more because we're practicing physical distancing. But what's the purpose of a hug? Why do we hug each other? Um, I'm an extroverted person. I wear my emotions on my sleeves. I enjoy embracing people that are near to me. But how does the two arms around a snotty-nosed wailing child add or enhance the already existing fact that I love my child? It doesn't really change the fact that I love my child. It doesn't change the fact that when you see your friend who you haven't seen in months, that you love them anymore. But when we can embrace again, and some of us who are comfortable with it will embrace again, a hug validates in our feelings the fact that we already know that we care about each other. I got a note from my kids today. It was really kind and really loving, and my wife encouraged them to put stickers on a little piece of paper I know my kids love me, but the fact of that little card, the fact of a little hug, validates um, in my feelings what's already true. Today we're talking about the feeling of God's love. Some of us kind of get a little antsy when we kind of see the intersection of our emotions in, in theology, but I believe that this passage can give such sweet, soothing comfort to your soul so that whatever you may be suffering through, you can have the hope to carry on and carry through. Romans 8 verse 14 to 17 validates the fact of God's love for us in our feelings. Romans 8 verse 14 to 17 is going to show us that you can know that you are loved by God. Romans 8 verse 14 to 17 is going to give us the evidence of God's love and show us the ways 
that we can experience God's love. So what's the evidence? What proof do we have to know the fact of God's love? Verse 14 tells us, Romans 8, 14 says, For all who are led by the Spirit are sons of God. We can know that we are loved by God because we are led by the Spirit. The Spirit's life in us and the Spirit's leading through us is the evidence that we are children of God and that we are loved by the Father. Even if we don't feel it, that fact is there. See, Paul wrote this letter to a a community of believers in the city of Rome. Jews and Gentiles, different ethnic backgrounds, with different religious backgrounds. And the idea of relating to God as Father was kind of familiar to different religions during that time. Uh, The idea of relating to God as Father is maybe foreign to us now, or maybe even distasteful to us now, given the challenge that we can have in modern family life in the 21st century. But it was familiar in Paul's time. But what Paul is saying is that the distinguishing mark that um, designates you as a true, legitimate child of God, loved by God the Father, isn't what the Greeks and Romans believed by worshiping a plethora of mythical gods created in their own imagination. It isn't the way that the strict adherence to behavioral obedience uh, was believed by those who followed the law of Moses and the Jewish faith. The distinguishing mark that designates any individual as a child of God and loved by God is the presence of the Spirit of God. Those who are led by the Spirit are sons of God. A lot of us have a lot of different ideas today about how we can relate to God. Some people think that God is like um, a cop a cop waiting around a corner with a speedometer trying to just catch you. Others think that God is just um, a teddy bear who's ready and available to be there for you whenever you feel down. But God is a lot more than that. Think about the way that you think about God. Is the way that he can relate to you determined more in the nuts and bolts in the way that you live? Is it determined more by what you do for God or by faith in what God has already done for you? Our experience with our parents should show us that the evidence of that we're children of God isn't based by what we do. The evidence that Carolyn and Timothy are my children aren't based on whether or not they love me or they obey me. The evidence that Caroline and Timothy are my children is because Caroline and Timothy were born of me and my wife. Regardless of whether they love me, regardless of whether they obey me, they are my children. And the way that they can enjoy my love and choose to obey me in love is by the way that I, as their father, lead them and communicate my love to them first. Those who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. If you have enacted your faith in Jesus, and then in the mystery of the power of God, you have been born of the Father by the Spirit. 
The fact of your place in God's family, that you have a seat at his dinner table, is that you are indwelt by the always with you, never failing you, ready to guide you, Spirit of Christ, whom the Father gave you as a gift. And the Spirit's life in us and leading through us is evidence that we are loved by God. That's fact. Fact proven by the gospel. The good news of what Jesus has done. But we know and experience the fact is there, but how often does the feeling trail so far behind it so that we can't even see it? The fact doesn't change. Our experience can. So if this is the evidence that we can know that God loves us, that we can know that we are loved by God, what's the experience? How can we feel the affection and comfort of the invisible God. There's three ways that this text tells us. The Spirit rescues us from fear. He opens our hearts to the Father. And i got to check my notes to see this again. And he comforts our hearts in Christ. So let's look at these three individually. The Spirit rescues us from fear. Verse 14 says, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. We can experience the love of God. We can know that we are loved by God because the Spirit has rescued us from fear. You have not received the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. Slavery and fear is the place where we find ourselves when we find ourselves in need of Jesus. It's that place where we realize that we can't measure up to the standards imposed by us. Maybe that's, maybe that's the standards we feel from our own parents. Maybe that's the standards we feel from our society. Maybe that's standards we've imposed on ourselves. Ultimately, it's the standard that God has for us to, for the way that he created humanity to live. It's that feeling that Paul felt in Romans chapter 7, verse 18, when he said, I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. He knew he couldn't measure up. It's the end of the subway line. When you thought your stop was coming, but it never arrived. And now there's nowhere else to go. And in your gut, you're afraid and feel captive to circumstances that you can no longer control. And that fear can express itself often in two different ways. Not exclusively, but often. The captivity of our fear can express itself in, in insecurity and in shame. And I wonder... What do you feel when you reach the end of the line? It makes us feel insecure because you know that there's nowhere left to go, but somehow you still try to keep going somewhere because you need to try and do something even though it's not going to get you where you want to go. You keep trying to meet these unattainable standards. And, and for people who have this attitude where they just keep grinding and grinding and grinding even though that they know that there's no bottom to dig down to or no end to reach to everyone else it might look like you have it all together 
but you know in your heart, no matter how many projects you complete or how high your grades are or how better you feel about your body or how many hours you volunteer, you know that it's still really hard to sleep at night because you feel in your gut that no matter how much you do, it's not enough. The end of the line can cause fear that leads to insecurity and fear that leads to shame. This is the type of people who get to the end of the line and there's nowhere else to go, so they just give up and they stop trying. And stop trying to be the dad that you want to be because it seems like no matter what you try and do, your kids aren't into it or your spouse doesn't acknowledge it. You stop trying to be the employee that you want to be because other people keep getting the promotion ahead of you. You stop being the Christian that you're supposed to be because you keep falling back into sin, so you just keep giving into the same sin. Everyone else might think that you're the fun-loving life of the party. Because that's often the way that we react when we feel numb having given up. We want to feel some kind of pleasure, so the easiest thing is overconsumption. Overconsumption of food, overconsumption of sexuality, overconsumption of purchasing things. And to everyone else, it might look like you're the fun-loving life of the party. But when you look in the mirror at the end of the day, it's really hard to look back at what looks at you with a sense of dignity. I can feel both of these. I can feel the insecurity. I can feel the shame. Because just like everyone else, uh, I have fallen short of what God wants for me. Do you feel like you've reached the end of the line? Ah, good. That's good. Because that's where Jesus meets you. Jesus is waiting for us at the end of the line. The Father is waiting for us at the end of the line. He sees our insecurity. He sees our shame. But look at the way that Jesus looked at others who lived like this in his life. The people who the elites of the day would fold their arms towards and look down upon. Jesus doesn't do that. Jesus knew that his Father was a Father of mercy and a Father of kindness. Jesus was the type of person who would intentionally reach out to the one who was overlooked by everyone else. Jesus welcomed the outcast. Jesus welcomed the sinner. Jesus welcomed the people who did so much with their body and so much with their money that caused so much taboo and shame in the culture. If you've reached the end of the line, that's where Jesus is waiting for you. He sees your insecurity. He sees your shame. He knows we can't meet his standards. He knows we've all fallen short. And he provides another way. The Father provides another way when we've reached the end of the line, and it's the way of his Son. Jesus is the only one who ever met the standards for what God has for us, for what the Father has for us, for what it means to be a human. Jesus is the true human. He met all the Father's standards, but, but then we see Jesus on the cross, and we see that though he fully met the Father's standards, he somehow willingly suffered public open shame. Why? He lived the life that we couldn't so that he could suffer the shame that we deserve. 
he did it in love. And he did it for me. And he did it for you. This is how the Spirit rescues us from fear. He lived the life you couldn't. He died the death that we deserved. And when we enact our faith in Jesus, that what he did was enough, the Spirit empties us of guilt, fills us with the life of Christ. And when we are filled with Christ, the pressure to measure up is released and relieved because Christ did it for you. And by faith in him, your measure is full. So yeah, you may be far from reaching what your parents expect of you or far from what your boss hired you to be or far from what your sick wife needs you to be or, or far from what God created you to be. But, but the good news is that Christ is our hope and the Father is our love and the Spirit is our liberator. Enact your faith in Christ and in him you are and will be and can be rescued out of your fear and not just rescued out of your fear to go live your own way. You're res- not just rescued out of something, you're rescued into something. You're rescued into a loving relationship with God as Father. This is what the Spirit does so that we can know that we are loved by God. He rescues us from fear and he slowly, surely opens our hearts toward the Father. In my last semester of the last year of university, I had to move from one dorm room to another dorm room. And there was only one empty bed. I wanted to stay in my building. There was only one empty bed in my building. There are usually two beds in each room. For the whole year, that other guy in that room had that room to himself. And when he found out that someone else was taking that second bed, he was not happy. (laughs) He was very unhappy. And for two weeks, he... Uh, didn't even acknowledge my existence. And then it wasn't for me lack of trying. I would leave notes. I wanted to have a friendship with a guy, um, so I would leave post-it notes by his light, his lamp on his desk at the end of the day. And I know he would see them because uh, when I woke up in the morning, they were gone. But he would leave before I woke up in the morning and not come back at all until I went to bed at the end of the night because he just wanted to avoid me. He was totally cold towards me. He didn't want to open up. As challenging as that was, I can't imagine the challenge it would be for a newly adopted child to open up to someone who they're told is mom and dad, but at first is just a complete stranger. You know, the really cool thing is, though, there are some uh, families with adopted children in our church. And at one point, they were strangers from who they now call mommy and daddy. But to see the way that these adopted children are open to their adopted parents, you wouldn't have known that they were once strangers. This is what the Spirit wants to do for you. You did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, 
but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The spirit wants to open our hearts to the Father, but you might feel like a stranger to him. He might feel like a stranger to you, even though you've believed in him. But you can know that you are loved by him. See, the challenge of opening ourselves up to God is because we know what's behind what we are hiding. We know the insecurity that keeps us from sleep at night. We know the shame that keeps us from wanting to look at the person we see in the mirror. And God knows it too. In 1 John, it says, when our hearts condemn us, God is greater than our hearts. He knows everything. The Spirit wants to open up your heart so that you can be honest with him. And when you reach the end of the line, you can know that there's someone who's there and who you can cry out to as Abba, Father. Not a stranger, but your dad. It's really interesting that Paul uses both these two words to describe a dad. Abba, an Aramaic word. Father, as Paul used it, a Greek term. Abba is, Abba is barely a word. Abba is the first babbling syllables that a Jewish child would say to cry out to their dad. It's, not even, it's barely a word. It's a, a single cry of a single syllable that communicates all of the feelings that a child can feel. Abba is hold me and feed me and love me and help me. I'm scared because that's all they know how to say. But it communicates all that they feel. And the comfort that we have in our little babbling words towards God is that even if we don't know how to communicate what we feel, he knows it. So if there ever was such a thing, a good prayer is not a expertly strung together uh, necklace of theological pearls. If there ever was such a thing as a good prayer, it's the naughty, slobbering cry of a helpless, vulnerable infant that doesn't even know what they need, but they know they need their dad. And when your Abba in heaven hears that cry, he's coming. Father is a unique, different term. A Greek home um, is not like the Ikea catalog home that the Swedes try and tell us home should be, right? Home in an Ikea catalog is a place of leisure and a place of comfort. Greek homes were different. Greek homes were not only room and board, but they were also a place of business with employees. They were a place of education and schooling, often also a place of worship. So at the same time, dad wasn't just a dad who did his chores of taking out the garbage and saying prayers with the kids at the end of the night and playing games. The dad was in their home was also a boss and uh, also a principal and 
also maybe a, even a pastor. And the function of the dad was to make sure that all of the operations of the home were kept in order. And to cry out to your Abba, your father, is to be willing to recognize, man, my heart is so disordered right now. And Father, I need you to reorder all this chaos. And he's got the skill and the wisdom and the knowledge and the power to order all of our chaos when we cry out to him. You can know that you are loved by God. The spirit is evidence of God's love. We can experience it when we cry out to him. Don't be cold towards God. You may feel cold towards God. The spirit wants to open your heart and he can when you know who he is. He's not a cop behind a corner. He's not just trying to catch you. He's not a simple teddy bear who's there when you need him. He is your father who you can dynamically interact with and relate to as Jesus himself did. The spirit rescues us from fear. The spirit opens our hearts to Abba, Father. And the spirit comforts our hearts in Christ. Look at verse 16 and verse 17. It says, the spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may be glorified with him. What's happening here? How does the spirit bear witness with our spirit? To bear witness is to speak the facts. Like a witness under oath speaks true facts in a courtroom. And this Holy Spirit speaks the facts of God's love for us to our spirit. What is our spirit? It's referring to our emotions. It's referring to our feelings. The Spirit comforts our hearts in Christ because he speaks the facts to our feelings in a way that validates God's love for us. That's why you hug your kids. That's why you're going to be excited one day to hug a friend when all of this stuff is over. It validates the fact in our feelings. And that's what the Spirit does in our most vulnerable moments like an infant child in our most disordered chaotic moments the spirit speaks the facts of the father's love to our feelings in a way that comforts and validates his true love for us so what are the facts you are a child of god by faith in jesus you have an equal place at the dinner table and that seat is reserved for you and it's never going and it's no one else's it's yours. That means that because you are a child of God with equal place in God's family, your self-worth and your dignity is not defined by what you do or what you don't do. It's secured in what Christ has done for you. The fact is you are adopted in Christ and you have an inheritance in glory with Christ. We feel the pain of our present age. We are suffering with Christ as he suffered himself. But there is a new age coming. 
This gives us hope that we don't suffer in vain and that we don't suffer alone. The fact is you're adopted in Christ and you have a secure dignity and self-worth. The fact is you have hope in Christ and you can carry on when it's hard. The facts don't change. But we know that the experience of the feeling does. Our cheeks still become wet with tears. Our bodies still become limp and weak. Today feels like a haze of confusion. Tomorrow feels like a fog of uncertainty. And that's what the Spirit speaks into. I needed this over the past few days. It didn't stop the tears. It didn't strengthen my knees. It didn't lift the haze or clear the fog. But what it did do is it soothed my soul to remind me that through the suffering, my dignity is secure. My hope is certain. Maybe you need this today too. Jesus said in John 10, my sheep hear my voice I know them by name. There is a distinct, unique voice of Christ in the spirit that calls out to you that you can discern from a stranger. So how can we hear his voice? How can we know that we are loved by God? We know the evidence that the spirit of Christ is in us and we know the experience that he has rescued us from fear. He can open our hearts to the father. He can comfort our hearts in Christ. But what can we do today if we need it now? What can we do when we've reached the end of the line? And I wish this was more practical, but honestly, it takes more introspective evaluation of the heart. It starts by first recognizing the triggers that lead you to this place. What brings you to the end of the line? Maybe this means that you need to speak with someone that you trust because you don't see it yourself. And you feel the feelings of loneliness and isolation. And you wonder if God loves you, but you don't know how you got there. What keeps driving you back into fear? The Spirit rescues us out of fear, but we can fall back into it. We can fall back into shame. We can fall back into a security. What are the triggers that lead you there? When you fall back into fear, are you more prone to insecurity? Are you more prone to shame? Or maybe even, maybe do you feel both? And what do you go to when you feel that if you don't go to God? First, recognize the triggers that lead you to the end of the line. Then second, trust the facts regardless of the feeling. Insecurity can often be an expression of our pride that believes that as long as I do more, I can fix it. Shame can sometimes be an expression of our unbelief. Disbelieving that there could be a way out even though God offers a way out. Trust the facts regardless of your feelings. Believe that the life Christ lived was the life you couldn't. 
that the death he died was the one that he deserved. Put your faith, enact your faith in Jesus. Turn from following your own way. And in Christ, you will be rescued. Accusations silenced. Allegations dropped. No more condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You have dignity. You have hope. You are not alone. Recognize the triggers that lead you there. Trust the facts regardless of your feelings. And then, and this is where it gets practical, but this is where it's hardest. Open your heart to the Father and cry out to him. Often when I meet with people and I'm trying to help them work through things like this, I'm really thankful that they're willing to trust me and be open with me. And after they express to me triggers and the feelings that lead them there, I will normally ask them the same question. Have you been as honest with God about this as you've been honest with me right now? Most of the time, the answer no. God is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. He is ready to hear the babbling, snotty prayer of a slobbering infant child. He is able to bring order to the chaos that we feel. Are you crying out to God? Trust that he is Abba. Trust that he is Father. Keep crying out to him. The feeling that you want may not instantaneously come. Don't chase a feeling. Seek a person. Keep calling out. Keep waiting on him. And as Christ spoke to the storm, peace be still. So the spirit of Christ will speak the facts of your identity to your feelings and soothe your aching soul so that you can know that you are loved by God. Father in heaven, speak to us. Speak to us so clearly and so distinctly so that we know it's you, so that we can have the courage to carry on. Amen.